Hello and welcome to the Zero to Finals podcast. My name is Tom and in this episode I'm going to be talking to you about intravenous fluids. And you can find written notes on this topic at zerodefinals.com slash ivfluids or in the general surgery section of the Zero to Finals surgery book. So let's get straight into it. Prescribing IV fluids is a very common task on your surgical rotations, as well as practically all inpatient medical jobs. The information here is designed to help you understand the concepts for your exams. When you're actually prescribing fluids, follow the national and local guidelines and consult with your seniors when you're in doubt. This should not be used as a guide for prescribing. Let's start by talking about the fluid compartments in the body. Fluid within the body is distributed across different spaces. Water, electrolytes, glucose and proteins constantly move between the fluid spaces to find a balance and to carry out their functions. There are two categories of fluid spaces in the body. The intracellular space, which is the space inside the cells, and this makes up two-thirds of the total body fluids, and the extracellular space, which is the space outside the cells. And this makes up one third of the total body fluids. So two thirds of the fluid in the body is contained within the cells and one third of the fluid in the body is outside the cells. The extracellular space or the space outside the cells can be further subdivided into three spaces. The intravascular space, which is the space inside blood vessels, and this makes up 20% of the extracellular fluid. The interstitial space, which is the functional tissue space between and around the cells, and this makes up 80% of the extracellular fluid. And the third space. The third space refers to areas of the body that do not normally contain fluid and where fluid collection is not functional or desirable. This includes areas such as the peritoneal cavity, where extra fluid forms ascites, the pleural cavity, where extra fluid forms pleural effusions, the pericardial cavity, where extra fluid forms pericardial effusions, and the joints, where extra fluid forms joint effusions. The third space also refers to the non-functional and excessive collection of fluid in the interstitial space, resulting in edema. Third spacing refers to when fluid shifts into the non-functional third space. Often this refers to the development of edema when excessive fluid moves into the interstitial space. It also refers to the development of ascites, effusions or other non-functional fluid collections within the body. When fluid moves into a non-functional space, this may come at the expense of the intravascular space, resulting in hypotension and reduced perfusion of the body tissues. Let's talk about fluid balance. Monitoring a patient's fluid balance is common in hospitals and it involves recording all of the fluid intake and all of the fluid output on a fluid balance chart. Monitoring the fluid balance is particularly helpful in acutely unwell patients, for example patients with sepsis, surgical patients and patients with fluid balance issues such as diarrhea and vomiting, heart failure or kidney disease. Some patients require a specific fluid restriction, for example, patients with heart failure, renal failure or hyponatremia, a low sodium. This means the total fluid intake is capped, for example, 1.5 litres of fluid intake per day. 
extra caution needs to be taken in these patients to calculate their input accurately and seek advice from seniors when you have any doubt. Sources of fluid intake include oral fluid, nasogastric or PEG feeds, intravenous fluids including IV medications and total parenteral nutrition. Sources of fluid output include urine output, bowel and stoma output, particularly when the patient has diarrhea, vomiting or stomach aspiration, drain output, bleeding and sweating. Insensible fluid loss is a term that refers to fluid output that's difficult to measure, such as through respiration, when fluid is breathed out, in the stools, through burns or from sweat. Insensible fluid losses vary a lot and can only be estimated. Insensible fluid losses can account for a large volume of over 800 milliliters per day, particularly in patients who have significant diarrhea, a high stoma output, or when they're sweating with a high fever. A Tom tip for you, the fluid balance chart helps assess whether the input matches the output to guide the prescription of IV fluids. When prescribing fluids, always have a look at the fluid balance chart from that day and the previous day to see whether they have a negative or a positive fluid balance. If they have a negative fluid balance, they may require additional IV fluids, and if they have a positive fluid balance, they may require less IV fluid. Sometimes a bit of scepticism needs to be applied as the chart might not be completely accurate. The patient may have been visiting the toilet or sneaking large drinks without informing the nurse, or there may be omissions from the chart, particularly when the ward has been very busy. Next, let's talk about assessing fluid status. Having an abnormally low amount of extracellular fluid can be referred to as hypovolemia, or volume depletion. A negative fluid balance is when more fluid is leaving the body than coming in, and this results in hypovolemia. Having an abnormally high amount of extracellular fluid in the body is referred to as hypervolemia or fluid overload. A positive fluid balance is when more fluid is entering the body than is being removed and this will lead to hypervolemia. The signs of hypovolemia or inadequate fluid are hypotension with a systolic blood pressure below 100 millimeters of mercury, tachycardia with a heart rate above 90, capillary refill time prolonged at more than two seconds, cold peripheries, a raised respiratory rate, dry mucous membranes, reduced skin turga, reduced urine output, sunken eyes, a reduced body weight from the baseline, and feeling thirsty. Signs of fluid overload are peripheral edema, and it's worth checking the ankles and the sacral area for edema, pulmonary edema, which can present with shortness of breath, reduced oxygen saturations, raised respiratory rate and bibasal crackles, a raised JVP and an increased body weight from baseline. And it's worth remembering that regular weights are an important way of monitoring the fluid balance. Patients with third spacing may have a low level of fluid in the intravascular space but excessive fluid in other areas such as the interstitial space or the peritoneal cavity. This can give signs of hypovolemia, for example hypotension, tachycardia and a prolonged capillary refill time, and signs of fluid overload, 
such as edema and ascites. Let's talk about the indications for intravenous fluids. The main indications for IV fluids are resuscitation, for example in sepsis or hypotension, fluid replacement, for example in vomiting and diarrhea, and maintenance fluids, for example in patients that are nil by mouth due to a bowel obstruction. Generally, IV fluids should be avoided if the patient can adequately meet their fluid requirements with oral fluids. Next, let's talk about the types of IV fluids. There are two main groups of IV fluids, crystalloids and colloids. Crystalloids are essentially water with added salts and glucose. The contents of crystalloid solutions will redistribute throughout the different fluid compartments within the body. Common examples of crystalloids are 0.9% sodium chloride, which can be called normal saline, 5% dextrose, 0.18% sodium chloride in 4% glucose, Hartman solution, and plasmalite 148. Let's go through what these individual crystalloid solutions contain. A 1 litre bag of normal 0.9% saline solution contains 1 litre of water, 154 millimoles of sodium, and it's worth noting this is a lot of sodium, and giving lots of saline can result in hypernatremia, or a high sodium level in the body. And it also contains 154 millimoles of chloride. A 1 litre bag of 5% dextrose contains 1 litre of water, no electrolytes, and it's worth noting that lots of 5% dextrose can result in hyponatremia and edema because there's no electrolytes added and it's a hypotonic solution, which we'll talk about in more detail later. And it also contains 50 grams of glucose. A 1 litre bag of 0.18% sodium chloride in 4% dextrose contains 1 litre of water, 31 millimoles of sodium, 31 millimoles of chloride and 40 grams of glucose. A 1 litre bag of Hartman solution contains 1 litre of water, 131 millimoles of sodium, 111 millimoles of chloride, 5 millimoles of potassium, 2 millimoles of calcium and 29 millimoles of lactate. And the lactate helps to buffer the solution, reducing the risk of acidosis. And finally, a 1 litre bag of Plasmalite 148 contains 1 litre of water, 140 millimoles of sodium, 98 millimoles of chloride, 5 millimoles of potassium, 1.5 millimoles of magnesium, 27 millimoles of acetate, which helps to buffer the solution, reducing the risk of acidosis, and 23 millimoles of gluconate, which also helps to buffer the solution and reduce the risk of acidosis. A Tom tip for you, normal 0.9% saline has a concentration of sodium of 154 millimoles per litre. The normal blood concentration of sodium is 135 to 145 millimoles per litre. Therefore, when you use normal saline, you're adding a lot of sodium into the system, significantly increasing the risk of hypernatremia. Normal saline also carries a risk of causing a metabolic acidosis due to adding so much chloride, and this is a hyperchloremic acidosis. For these reasons, Hartmann's or Plasmalite are often better options. Colloids are large molecules that stay in the intravascular space longer. 
Theoretically, this helps to retain fluid in the intravascular space. However, the research suggests there's no benefit of using colloids over crystalloids in resuscitation scenarios. One example of a colloid is human albumin solution, which may be used in patients with decompensated liver disease. Albumin is an important component of plasma and it increases the plasma volume. It increases the oncotic pressure of the plasma, drawing in and retaining fluid in the intravascular space. In decompensated liver disease, the patient's liver is not producing adequate albumin, leading to a reduction in osmotic pressure in the intravascular space, resulting in reduced circulating blood volume. Human albumin solution may be used to help correct this, although the effects are only temporary. A Tom tip for you, in most medical and surgical jobs, you will practically only ever prescribe crystalloid fluids. I don't remember ever prescribing a colloid solution as a junior doctor working in hospitals, other than albumin in patients with an acidic drain on the instructions of the gastroenterology team. Let's talk about tonicity. Tonicity refers to the osmotic pressure gradient between two fluids across a membrane. This determines whether water molecules will move across the membrane by osmosis from the area of a low concentration of solutes to the area of a high concentration of solutes. The normal serum osmolality is 275 to 295 milliosmoles per kilogram. Isotonic solutions, for example 0.9% saline, Hartmann's and plasmalite solution, match the concentration of solutes or the osmolality in the plasma. Hypotonic solutions, for example 5% dextrose, and 0.18% sodium chloride have a lower concentration of solutes than the plasma. And hypertonic solutions, for example 3% saline, have a higher concentration of solutes than the plasma. Water will flow from an area of a lower concentration of solutes to an area of a higher concentration of solutes by osmosis. Theoretically, if you dilute the blood using a hypotonic solution, water will flow out of the blood into the interstitial space. This is why hypotonic solutions, for example 5% dextrose, are not used for fluid resuscitation. Hypotonic solutions also carry a risk of hyponatremia, or a low sodium, by diluting the sodium content of the blood. Let's talk about intravenous fluids used for resuscitation. Where your assessment suggests that the patient is hypovolemic and they need fluid resuscitation, you can prescribe boluses of IV fluids to rapidly improve their fluid status. Seek senior input where you're unsure or where the patient has shock or circulatory failure. An isotonic fluid should be used for fluid resuscitation and this usually either means a choice of 0.9% saline Hartman solution or plasma light 148. An ABCDE assessment of the patient is used to determine their fluid status. Signs such as hypotension, tachycardia and a prolonged capillary refill time indicate the need for fluid resuscitation. It's also important to establish the underlying cause of the hypovolemia, for example sepsis, and this needs to be treated accordingly. The NICE guidelines suggest for fluid resuscitation an initial 500ml fluid bolus over 15 minutes, or STAT, 
followed by reassessment with an ABCDE approach. Repeat boluses of 250 to 500 milliliters of fluid can be used if required, each time followed by reassessment. And then it's important to seek expert help if the patient is not responding, particularly after 2 litres of fluid. A Tom tip for you, you can't give a rapid infusion of a fluid that has a high potassium content. Under normal circumstances, the rate of potassium infusion should not exceed 10 millimoles per hour, as there's a risk of inducing an arrhythmia or cardiac arrest. Higher rates are only used in specific scenarios under expert supervision with cardiac monitoring and given through a central line rather than a peripheral cannula. Next let's talk about replacement IV fluids. IV fluids can be used to replace fluids in a patient with a negative fluid balance where the fluid losses are greater than the fluid intake. This involves calculating or estimating the losses and prescribing additional fluids to account for these losses. Let's talk about maintenance IV fluids. Maintenance IV fluids are used for the shortest time possible where a patient is unable to take adequate fluids orally, for example when they're nil by mouth waiting for surgery or when they have a bowel obstruction. As soon as they're able to meet their nutritional needs orally, the IV fluids should be stopped. The NICE guidelines give approximate requirements for maintenance IV fluids, which are 25 to 30 milliliters per kilogram per day of water one millimole per kilogram per day of sodium, potassium and chloride and 50 to 100 grams per day of glucose. And it's worth noting that this is to prevent ketosis not to meet their nutritional needs. The weights that are used are based on the patient's ideal body weight rather than their actual body weight and this avoids excessive prescriptions for obese patients. So for example, if you had a 70 kilogram man they would require approximately 2 litres of water, approximately 70 millimoles of sodium, chloride and potassium, and 50 to 100 grams of glucose. In order to meet the potassium requirements of a patient, you can select a bag of IV fluids that has additional potassium added. Fluids may come with an additional 20 millimoles or 40 millimoles of potassium in a 1 litre bag. Potassium should not be added to the fluids. The mixture should come ready-made from the manufacturer. The NICE guidelines suggest starting with 25 to 30 milliliters per kilogram per day of 0.18% sodium chloride in 4% glucose with 27 millimoles per liter of added potassium. And this mixture is available as a ready-made solution. They point out that more than 2.5 litres of this fluid increases the risk of hyponatremia as this fluid is hypotonic. So taking our example of the 70 kilogram man, if you were to follow the NICE guidelines and prescribe 2 litres of 0.18% sodium chloride in 4% glucose with 27 millimoles per litre of added potassium over a 24 hour period, this would contain 2 litres of water, 62 millimoles of sodium, 62 millimoles of chloride, 54 millimoles of potassium and 80 grams of glucose. Meeting the patient's approximate requirements for IV maintenance fluids. Daily monitoring at least is required to ensure the correct fluids are prescribed. 
This includes assessment of their fluid status, fluid balance chart and user blood tests. A maximum of 24 hours of fluid should be prescribed at any one time. Too much IV fluids can lead to dilution of important components of the blood, including sodium, particularly with hypotonic solutions, potassium, particularly when potassium is not added to the IV fluids, other electrolytes, for example calcium or magnesium, hemoglobin and hematocrit, which is the red cells in the blood, causing anemia, and clotting factors, platelets and fibrinogen, which can cause coagulopathy or clotting problems. To avoid fluid overload and problems with abnormal fluid or electrolyte distribution, take additional caution and seek senior guidance with elderly or frail patients, patients with significant edema, patients with sodium imbalance, for example hyponatremia or hypernatremia, patients with heart failure, renal impairment or liver impairment. A Tom tip for you, surgeons and anaesthetists often prescribe Hartman solution or Plasmalite 148 solution as maintenance fluids as these are balanced isotonic solutions. These solutions are less likely to cause hyponatremia or a low sodium than hypotonic solutions, for example 5% dextrose or 0.18% sodium chloride. And avoiding hyponatremia is important in surgical patients. They're also less likely to cause hypernatremia than using normal saline. Finally, let's talk about some practicalities of prescribing. A fluid prescription chart will typically require you to fill in the following sections. The date, the type of fluid, the volume of fluid, any additives, the rate of the fluid infusion, and your signature and bleep. When prescribing the rate of infusion, the typical options are to put STAT, which indicates it should be given as quickly as it will run through the cannula, over X number of hours, for example over 8 hours, and this indicates the number of hours over which you want it to be infused, or X milliliters per hour, for example 125 milliliters per hour, which will give 1 litre of fluid over 8 hours. And you can calculate this by doing the volume of fluid divided by the number of hours. A final Tom tip for you, when you're prescribing maintenance fluids during a normal working day, try to ensure enough bags of fluid are prescribed to last through to the next working day, unless you want the fluids to stop. If the bag of fluid runs out at 2am and no further bags are prescribed, the on-call junior doctor will get a bleep to attend the ward and prescribe more fluids. Not only does this interrupt whatever that doctor is doing at the time, but they also have to work out what to prescribe for a patient that they don't know. This might involve waking the patient up and disturbing the patient's important rest. If the fluids are being stopped out of hours, remember to give clear instructions to the nurses and in the notes. So thanks for listening to this episode on intravenous fluids. As always, a big thank you to Harry for perfectly editing the podcast. And why not check out the next episode, which is on acute abdomen.